This episode of Control Alt is brought to you by Lenovo. Every day, rich new veins are created in a big data gold mine. Today, we generate more than 2.5 billion gigabytes of data each day in the form of 205 billion emails, 3.5 billion requests on Google, and 2.7 billion likes on Facebook. Most of that data is stored on nearly 5.5 million servers operated by just 16 companies. It's all that big data that business can use to improve products and gain a competitive advantage. Business today is like being in a game show lightning round. Answer the fastest and you win. So Lenovo is creating the next generation data center to help companies more efficiently mine data to uncover insights faster. That requires the ability to store massive amounts of data and the processing performance needed to analyze it. Lenovo server systems are number one in uptime and reliability with a proven track record of superior performance with the big names in data analytics. So learn more about how Lenovo is transforming the data center at www.lenovo.com slash data center. Hello, and welcome to Control Out Delete, a function key podcast from TheVerge.com. That <laughs> intro comes to us from Manuel Cruz. He's at Cruz Derivas, C-R-U-Z-D-E-R-I-V-A-S. We love your intros. Send them to us. They're the most fun thing that happens to me on Twitter on a regular basis, and I won't listen to. Uh, anyhow, I'm Neil Patel, <laughs> the Energy for The Verge. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, executive editor of The Verge, editor-at-large at Recode, Walter S. Mossberg. How's it going, Walter? It's going great, Nilai. I'm um, and you can reach me on F11. <laughs> yeah, I'm tucked in under the F5 key. You just oh, you are. refresh a hundred times, and, and there I am. I'm just F11. That's pretty you know. good. Uh, so, Walt, we have been, I think we've talked about your, your column topic several times in this show, uh, but you actually went ahead and did it after it's basically self-assigning the story. You wrote um, an article about AT&T's proposed acquisition of, of Time Warner. Uh, the, uh-huh. the the cable content company is not the cable service provider, which is Time Warner Cable, which is now part of Charter, I think. But the the part of the company that owns HBO, yeah, that owns CNN. HBO, Game of Thrones, therefore Silicon Valley, therefore Veep, therefore also Big Bang Theory, also CNN. I mean, you know, it's a pretty serious content company, and Warner Brothers Studios. This is a huge buy. Uh, or huge proposed by eighty five billion. Eighty five billion. It's two giants of the industry. And no, it's two giants of two different industries, which is the point. Yes, that's true. But anyway, yes. During the election season, President elect Trump, now President elect Trump, then candidate Trump, said he opposed this idea. Now we don't know what's going to happen, but you have many thoughts about it. And you wrote about them this week, right? So uh, it's the <laughs> it's the first time I've written a column where I've actually. Um, find myself agreeing with uh, <laughs> the president-elect on a tech-related issue, uh, because I agree with them on most everything else, but, you know, tech, this was interesting. Um, and he made his comment, I should stop and say, I don't want to get any tweets and email about this. We are just about tech here, and I'm not a Trump supporter. But uh, anyway, but he said... In, and not that long ago, actually, you know, right after the thing was announced, which was in late October, he said, um, you know, this is a, essentially, and I used the quote, and we have the video embedded in the, in the column, he said basically there's, this is a, puts too much power in too few hands. And he particularly cited the fact that this would involve uh, CNN mm-hmm. being uh, acquired by a distributor. So I talked about two things. One is just the just the accumulation of, of content power by a distributor of content and how that uh, in and of itself raises 
threats of making the playing field unfair and, and not level. Uh, but secondly, this relatively newer con- concept, and that, by the way, in that concept, it's, it's a vertical merger, so it's not people that directly competed with each other, but it does change the balance of power on uh, the mobile web, the mobile internet, I should say. So that's bad enough. Uh, but there have been some roughly analogous cases, one in particular, uh, the the Paramount case in, of 1948, which I know you are very familiar <laughs> with, which we discussed. I read it every night. What are you talking about? I know. Nothing like where, great jurisprudence. Where, I mean, I think listeners who, uh, you know, don't know that case by its name might be interested to know that in 1948, the Supreme Court told the Hollywood movie studios they could not control the movie theaters um, because it might, uh, and it was, in fact, uh, creating a situation where a theater was basically locked into or, you know, uh, had to favor the movies of whatever studio owned it. And that was part of the problem. It's mm-hmm. And to me, it's fairly analogous to this, uh, particularly since so much of of uh, video consumption and, and media consumption in general is now on mobile. And AT&T is the second largest, not by too much, actually. It's, you know, pretty close to a tie, a second largest mobile carrier to Verizon and bigger actually than Sprint T-Mobile put together. Yeah. But the second issue is uh, that I talked about that I think is wrapped up in all this is zero, something called zero rating, which we have talked about, which is, uh, was uh, to be fair, was, uh, as far as I know, invented by T-Mobile uh, with content it does not own, mm-hmm. but but has deals uh, covering these this content. Well, that, where, that's the context in the states and uh, around the world. All kinds of carriers do weird zero rating things. One of the big um, controversies around Facebook's free basics internet plan in India was that they were zero rating Facebook partners, so poor people in India would get free service, but they would only be able to use Facebook services, which is somewhat dangerous. And the Indian government basically said that's not allowed. You got to stop. Right, and I'm glad they did. Mm-hmm. And we ought to follow India's example. But when it really comes down to it, basically, I'm care- I care about the state's yeah, uh, situation. So so T-Mobile started this thing which said, hey, we did a deal with Spotify or Pandora. Was it Spotify and Pandora? I think it was mm-hmm. at first. You can listen to all this music and we, we won't count it against your data cap. And that's great. That's So that's, you know, f- essentially free. And that's – it's not free if you – because you have to pay for the service – with the, certainly with the, you know if you if you want premium memberships but it's free in terms of data caps and then they ex- expanded that to certain kinds of video AT&T is also already doing this but they're doing it with via a company they bought DirecTV which is a distributor and not a content creator but because it has all these uh, rights in contracts with all these companies it had it was able to put together a package, kind of like a cable TV package, which it sells, which you can, you know, see on your set-top boxes, various over-the-top set-top boxes or phones or tablets or PCs mm-hmm. or whatever. But on AT&T mobile phones, because AT&T now owns DirecTV, this DirecTV Now service is zero-rated. Now, they don't own T-Mobile yet, and I hope they will not get to own T-Mobile. But if they did, they could zero rate that too. And pretty soon we get to a point where the distributor is 
able to give favorable treatment to its own content. Mm-hmm. And and that, to me, is a problem, and that's why I think this is dangerous. What's funny to me, and I think our listeners may or may not know that I'm a pretty vocal champion and advocate of net neutrality, it, it, to me, it's the thing that enables our business to exist, right? If, if watching The Verge, you're reading The Verge or watching The Verge videos cost more than our competitors, then... We, we, a new business just can't overcome it. It's, it's so much more difficult when it just costs money. And it's interesting, there was a big fight over net neutrality several years ago. Right. And that fight is over. Trump, it appears, is going to install a new head of the FCC and have a have a Congress that's amenable to all of this change. Oh, no, he so- is going to install a new head because it'll switch to being three Republicans, two Democrats, and Tom Wheeler, the chairman, is resigning. So, yeah, he will. Yeah, if you want to get deep into FCC weeds, we could do that. Uh, there's actually a, a huge fight that just did not break Obama and Wheeler's way. There's, uh, I think, one of the, the better commissioners the FCC has ever had is a woman named Jessica Rosenworcel. Yeah. Uh, and she did not get reconfirmed just now. That's correct. Due to Wheeler's obstinance. Uh, so Wheeler might stay on past the inauguration because he's still trying to wheel and deal to make sure that... He gets the right people. Anyway, that is so deeply in the weeds. All that all that matters for the, the listener is net neutrality as a core concept is under attack, both politically at the existential level and now on the carrier side at the service level. And the way that the carriers are attacking it is through zero rating. And zero rating is, to my mind, it's so hard to explain the harms until they occur, right? So... T-Mobile zero rates music services and video services. That is great, right? It's great, free. It's free. Great. It's awesome. How Uh, can Mossberg and Patel be against that? How can we be against that? Right, you get stuff for free. I think the way T-Mobile does it is really interesting because they, they basically let anybody sign up to be zero rated at no cost. And what you have to, you know, you go, you say, I own a video service. I'm going to use your API. Uh, and you can deliver my videos at the degraded quality unless somebody pays you $5 a day and then we'll ship them HD video. That is actually how their system works. So right. there, there's some, there's a lot of but nuance that's to how part, this plan it's works. partly because they're in a different position than Verizon and AT&T. Right. They desperately need growth in in members. They all want growth, even Verizon and AT&T, but T-Mobile desperately needs it. So they let people sign up for free. Yeah. AT&T actually has a program, I forgot the name of it, that lets you sign up for free. Uh, not for free. You can sign up at some wholesale rate and be zero rated. So that's in the one. Words, that's the big difference. AT&T is different because they charge for it and they actually get a letter from the FCC about it. So if if I start a new company and I want to go compete with DirecTV Now or whatever AT&T is zero rating, I have to pay AT&T for my, the, the data that my customers use. And that is when it starts to become flatly non-competitive. You have a line in your column that says, you know, for every other company, that becomes a cost you have to bear. For AT&T, it's just shuffling the books around because their own internal companies are paying themselves. Uh, Verizon does this, and I, you know, we could do a whole hour of making fun of Verizon for operating Go90, which I think we do every week. Every week. Go90. I'm so glad you mentioned Go90. And by the way, Dieter Bone. <laughs> just to, I want to get it just in. Just get it in there. We'll yeah. get it in organically, maybe, but I just want to say it. But uh, but here's the point. The point is, AT&T will 
which, by the I should say, did not talk to me for this column because the thing is under legal review, but I was able to use a lot of quotes from their CEO who only in the last couple of weeks has been talking about it uh, at conferences and, and, and in congressional testimony. So you have... Uh, you have the ability to get his point of view on it, and you know he says, "Well, you know, we're we we sell it at these wholesale rates. They're low rates. They might, you know, the implication is they might even match the rate we charge our own, you know, content company that we might buy or in the direct direct TV service that's out there. But the thing is, that rate is arbitrary. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just has to do with a with a cost transfer on the books. And I'm not saying those aren't in some ways, real costs that are moved around. They are, they're at least opportunity costs. They're in there, but they can be set at any level a company wants to value them at and that the auditors will go along with. So it, it just puts tremendous power in the hands of a distributor. And I think there's always trouble when distributors in any uh, content-related industry uh, get a hold of content and can... Uh, or at least tempted to uh, favor it. Yeah. And so a good example, just to make this real for people, is AT&T is, is television. You know, obviously they, they own DirecTV. They're buying a bunch of cable networks or, or, or trying to buy a bunch of cable networks. If you want to get TV on your phone and you're an AT&T subscriber, it literally does not make economic sense for you to buy any service other than DirecTV now. Right, the the competition. Yeah, they're not buying them. Huh? The, the, what? They're not buying them. They're just signing deals with them to bundle them. Right. Well, AT and T bought Directv, and they're going to buy. Yeah, yeah, you know, I know, but Directv was a, is a distributor like AT and T. No, but except. I'm saying if it, just in the real world, the, the way this shakes out is there are several competing t- TV services. There's PlayStation V. I there's Sling. I know. I, I understand. Directv now. If you have AT and T, it is the only rational decision you should make in terms of your finances is to get DirecTV now because it won't hit your data cap. So right. you, you get a benefit from signing up for DirecTV now, which at t also a huge company, is subsidizing the plan to get it off the ground. So that's why it's you know as cheap as it is. So it's a company like Sony or Sling can't actually compete on a meaningful playing field. So N- not on AT and T phones. Not no, at AT and T. If you're a Verizon Which, customer, and, and, well, and because AT and T has 133 million customers, or some some it's estimated to have 133 million customers. Depends on your count customers, but a lot, huge number. Uh, that's an that's an enormous part of the U.S. market. That even if you had perfect neutrality or even subsidies or something on the other guys, you're missing a big chunk of the market that AT&T can hold out. Right. And and that's people like Sling, uh, or, uh, you know, which have money behind them. To go back to your point, uh, if, if, if The Verge wants to put videos up, we might have to pay whatever fee AT&T sets or Verizon sets or somebody sets and we might not be able to afford it, but I would say, you know, the Ver, even the Verge and Vox Media, are, uh, you know, have some. We have some money. We have some financing. Mm-hmm. We might be able to do some of that. I really worry about people just starting out or smaller sites. There are high value. Uh, high, I mean, high bet. There's high value content out there being produced by small operations that could never afford this. Never even think about it or hope to afford it or get to the negotiating table. Yeah. So uh, 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 let me throw in some real numbers here. Uh, PlayStation View, uh, Sony's 
TV streaming service starts at $40 a month. Gives you some number of channels. DirecTV Now starts at $35 a month for over 100 channels. So that that's the subsidy. AT&T has decided to lose money out of the gate on DirecTV Now. Well, it's a dual. That's the su- okay. That's right. the subsidy so there's for one signing subsidy. up for the service, even if you only watch it on Apple TV or something. Yep. That's the subsidy, yep. And then if you watch it on your AT&T phone, it doesn't hit your data cap, and Sony service does. If Sony wants to get to a place where they don't hit your data cap, they have to pay AT&T for that data. That cost will get rolled back into their fee, so PlayStation View will get more expensive than DirecTV now for the same service. So AT&T is basically taking its thumb and just put it on the- Or less profitable, either more expensive or less profit. I mean, depending on how they want to, what they want to do. They want to roll it back into the fee or they want to eat it and- I, I, I think our listeners are aware that when cable companies can pass cap costs onto their consumers, they usually make one choice. I, I, I understand, but I mean, in the if if you think of this as a new area where they wanna where they wanna just get subscribed, I mean, they have a they have a decision. But it doesn't matter. The point is, there's a huge economic penalty put on somebody that isn't in the, in in the case that's not theoretical, like Time Warner, which I was primarily writing about, but Directv, which is actually happening. AT&T is disadvantaging other people, even though they say, hey, we'll we'll let you zero rate. Yeah. We'll sell it to you at a low, what we consider a low wholesale price. We'll let you zero rate. And so that, that, that to me is the thing. You know, when, when the net neutrality war was raging in 2011, 2012, all the way up until 2014, all of the bad things were hypothetical. They hadn't quite happened yet. There were some little glimmers here. You know, Comcast would, if you had the Xfinity app on your Xbox, Comcast would let that out of your cap. But most people had huge caps. It didn't matter. And it was one. It, it was all very hypothetical or very edge case. This is right in the center of how we think about the future of television. The future of television is going to happen on phones. AT&T is making a huge bet that they should own a huge television distributor in DirecTV and a huge bet that they should own a huge television creator in Time Warner, and they're going to do that to enhance their business. Instead of doing what you suggest they should do, which is feel very happy and proud of the fact that they run a huge, successful, relatively well-operating network and sell their service to consumers at a reasonable rate. Right. Well, no, well and they make a lot of money. I yeah. mean, you can, still, you can still find in their financial reports the numbers that exclude DirecTV and are just AT&T or the, just the distribution part of DirecTV because they bought another distributor. It happens to use satellite. And the numbers are very good. Uh, I pointed out it was, what was it, the 33rd straight year of mm-hmm. dividend increases? I mean, they do very well. Um, and as I said in my piece, in the, in the lead of my piece, I've never covered an industry ever that um, is both – very, very successful and constantly miserably unhappy about the business it has chosen to be in and to invest <laughs> tens of billions of dollars in. And here's the weird thing. They're always saying we're afraid of being a dumb pipe or somehow getting commoditized, which is utterly ridiculous on two levels. First of all, there's nothing dumb about the management of that kind of a network. Yeah. I mean, it takes tremendous smarts, all kinds of algorithms, all kinds of investment in clever hardware and clever software. It's a it's just as hard and high tech a business as designing iPhones. I mean it's it is. It really is. 
And secondly, it requires so much, the floor of capital expenditure that you would need to do it is so high that they're locked in. I mean, unless they just screw up unbelievably terribly, which AT&T actually did for a while when they, were, when they had the iPhone exclusively, and they still survived and thrived, I mean, it's pretty hard to dislodge you from this position. So why isn't that a good enough business just to be in? It's a, you can make, they, it's not, they're not stagnant. They make more money. Because you don't get to hang out with movie stars. That is uh, uh, Matt Iglesias at Vox.com, another one of our colleagues. Uh, that's basically his theory, right? It's not a sexy business to run the network. You're not, you don't, you're not the people who are responsible for the iPhone. Yeah, it's not, it's not the iPhone. Yeah, right. I get it. But, you sell the iPhone. But if you, you if you make Harry Potter, like, you get to hang out with the stars of Harry Potter. You know, it's like that. That is a, a, an element of it that I think is it leads these companies to make silly. Oh yeah, we, silly I forgot decisions. to I forgot to mention in the podcast Harry Potter. I mentioned in the column. Yeah, that alone. I mean, listeners should just consider: Do you really want AT T to own Harry Potter? Think about that. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> when I think of AT and T, I think of uh, childhood wonder and innocence. And I think they'll. Own, I think I could be wrong, but I think they'll own the Gilmore Girls. Oh man, it's see, just a nightmare all the way around. <laughs> you be trying to watch the Gilmore Girls, you're going to get bounced. I think the to three Gilmore different Girls were Warner, people, and then they're Warner, Warner Brothers. They were uh, Warner Brothers. They were on the WB. They were Warner Brothers. Yeah, yeah, it's all over. Uh, so we should talk about the counter argument because the counter argument is. Yes, really I was, interesting. I'm just about to do that. Uh, it is hard. It's equally hard to unpack all this stuff. Like I said, it's it's very so. Here's the complex. here's a couple of points in the counter argument, which disinterested and very smart people like our our friend Stephen Sanofsky, who used to run both Office and Windows at Microsoft, and is generally a good guy and a smart guy and a person who, you know, I think cares about uh, uh, net neutrality. He doesn't buy that zero rating is necessarily a bad thing. And so, and I talked to him for the column too. I also talked to Julius Janikowski, who ran the FCC uh, uh, during some crucial, during this whole crucial net neutrality thing and, and a couple of big mergers. But um, so the counter argument is, is first of all, this is just exactly like 1-800 phone numbers. Yep. And the the way this works is, at some point, I think in the 50s, when there was one phone company, ironically, AT&T, actually not the same company, but it was named AT&T. The name has gone and been slapped on different companies over the years. It was There was one phone company, and if you wanted to call Sears for customer service, you had to make a, quote, long-distance call which cost much more money than a regular call and was so such a big deal that in many households, everybody had to shut up during the long-distance call <laughs> and everybody tried to make them really short because they cost a lot of money. And if Sears wanted to call you to sell you something or an insurance company or some other telemarketer, um, it cost them a lot of money because it was a long-distance call. So they came up with this 1-800 thing where a company like... Sears. Sears is the one that I'm saying because Randall Stevenson, the CEO of AT&T, used it, has used it as an example. He calls it Sears and Roebuck. Ooh. I don't think that's right. But anyway, um, they they paid Ma Bell, the phone company, uh, a certain amount 
to subsidize making these phone numbers free. And eventually, anyone can get them. And Stephen Sanofsky, who I mentioned, his father had a small, relatively small business, and he eventually got a 1-800 number, which I think is partly why he, he thinks that analogy makes sense. Um, I don't think it makes sense because it's, it's not like maybe at the very beginning for a little bit, the people who had 1-800 numbers had an advantage over the people who didn't, but it very quickly became a very widespread thing. And it wasn't, it wasn't a thing that depended on scarcity or depended on uh, having a lot of money eventually. It was pretty much just a tool that was out there. Also, um, it was tightly regulated. And I'm not... Oh, er- everything about phones was tightly regulated. Right. So the, the cost of the 800 number was regulated by the government. The provisioning of the 800 number was regulated by the government. I don't think the government should regulate too much of the internet. I think they should regulate what the carriers can are not allowed to do, right? They, they should regulate the fact that the internet should remain open and free. I certainly don't think they should regulate pricing. Well, and they should regulate antitrust. I mean, yeah. I, I said both those things in the column. So this is a convergence of those two issues, I think. And uh, the, therefore, the government should get involved, and therefore, and 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 Trump promised in that statement, uh, which you know, go to the verge, go to the peace, and you can, uh, in addition to reading my brilliant words, you can you can watch the video for yeah. yourselves. Just so, prove but you also point f- out that you know what Trump said during the campaign has little bearing on what he's doing now or what he may do in the future. So. He was pretty mad at CNN during the campaign for what appeared to be tough coverage. You can argue about whether it was or wasn't. And so I, there's, it a, wasn't. there's a world <laughs> in which he was just trying to say something that would be bad for CNN. He doesn't really care and he's not going to do it. There's a world in which Trump does sit around and have deep thoughts about the concentration of monopoly power in America. What world is that? I don't. It, I'm just look. There's many infinite timelines that we could live on. <laughs> Every decision you make branches off a new timeline. Is that a plot in Rogue One? Or <laughs> what, what is it? I don't know. Uh, maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't want to block it. There's a world in which uh, I don't know. Randall Stevenson wakes up and, and has a conscience and doesn't want to do it. Right. He says something in the campaign, and he may very well mean it when he says it. I'm not calling him a liar. But then he gets advisors. They think about it. You know, he appoints various people. The people he he has not, to be fair, to my knowledge, filled any FCC positions, or you know, said who he's going to put on the FCC. I don't even know if this deal, by the way, will go to the FCC. Could be entirely handled by the Justice Department, and I'm not sure, but I'm almost sure that he hasn't said who's going to be attorney general and certainly not who's going to run the antitrust division. So we don't know. But the people he's put on his transition committee to be concerned with these issues are not friends of net neutrality. Yeah. And the Financial Times claimed, uh, wrote a story saying that somebody associated with Trump has already kind of quietly let AT&T know that despite what was said – publicly by the president-elect in the campaign. They shouldn't worry too much about this. So we'll see. That's And there is we'll precedent, see. and this is where I have to issue the disclosure. Uh, we're going to talk you. about NBC and Comcast I was about to. in one second. And our company is, the NBC is a 30% 
uh, investor in Fox Media. So NBC and Comcast combined or somehow, right? Yeah, it's NB- NBC Universal is, is an investor yeah. in the company. So in 2011, mm-hmm. I think it was 2011, Comcast acquired NBC and uh, contr- the control controlling share of NBC. Eventually, I think they put it all. And yes, they are a minority investor in our company. But here's the interesting thing, and I talked to several people uh, who know a fair amount about this who basically said two things. One is that merger was approved by the FCC under uh, uh, Julius Janikowski, who I mentioned it before, uh, but with a bunch of, of, of conditions and provisions, including some related to net neutrality. Number two, it's been five years, and I don't think there's been a single controversy or uh, allegation that I know of, at least, of NBC uh, programming or programming from any NBC-owned network that was part of that transaction being given any special – it's not like I get – I'm a Comcast customer. I don't think I have ever seen on a bill something that says – Hey, watch NBC for free. It doesn't count against this bill. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't see that. I don't see them, you know, giving NBC uh, like a special button on the remote or any of these things they could be doing to favor NBC. It's just not happening. In fact, from where I sit and and I should I should also disclose that my, the company I founded before it was acquired by Vox Media, Recode, also had NBC as an investor, a minority investor. So I know a little about it. You know a little about it. We both have met some people from that company. I, I, I they seem to run as separate companies. Yeah. So in other words, there's a Comcast seems to run itself as a cable company, Cable Town, as they used to call it on <laughs> Thirty Rock, and, which was an NBC show, which made fun of this. And NBC runs its runs itself the way it used to run itself. And that's not out of the goodness of their hearts. Is important to know, right? Julius Janikowski, the FCC. They and the FTC put together what's called a consent decree that prevents Comcast from favoring NBC, prevents NBC from offering more favorable terms to Comcast than to other distribution partners. There are really strong rules in place. Now, you know, we don't know the super internal workings of these companies. Do they have they found loopholes? Do they they do they bite around the edges? Maybe yes or no. But for the most part, those rules are in place, and the NBC side of the business is over there, and the Comcast ISP part of the business is over there, and they operate somewhat independently, even though they're one company. That's fine, sure. It, uh, is it ideal? Is it as Walt says, a a big content maker and a big distributor coming together in a way that could lead to bad outcomes? Sure, it is. But for the most part, that consent decree has prevented those bad outcomes. But right. the va- so the value that Comcast gets from owning NBC is really just like Comcast executives get to go to theme parks and like meet the <laughs> cast of the Minions. Well, there's some right? financial. Like, they they get to they get diversification, and they get whatever the financial benefit is. You know, it's probably I don't I haven't checked, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was accretive and a good right. A good but then, financial then, deal. then you flip to AT and T. Or even, and I, you know, I'm just happy to make fun of Verizon for trying to do the same strategy, but by oh buying AOL and Yahoo, which literally no one cares about. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't. I keep reading the these numbers that are in the hundreds of millions of people that visit 
uh, Yahoo and I can't understand. I don't know anyone who goes to <laughs> it's, it's just Kara e- over and over again, seeing if yeah. it's collapsed yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that could be it. Hundreds of millions. Uh, of anyhow, uh, both AT&T and Verizon have the same idea, right? They're going to buy big content companies and favor them on their access. And that's their play. AT&T is just openly saying the future of our network is delivering video to people and we need to buy these big video companies. Absolutely. Uh, Stevenson, uh, you know, the CEO, uh, and we should explain, he's the CEO of the overall AT&T. There's a separate uh, or a or part of AT&T, which, which is the cell phone company called AT&T Mobility. Yep. AT&T is, even, even without this acquisition, AT&T is in a few other things. Like they have a very small sort of cable competitor and they make apps for cars. They do a few other things. Right. Um, they have a home security business. Um, Which they should shut down and apologize to everyone for ever having, I'm telling you. Really? Do you have it? My parents have it. It's awful. It's just the it, Really? Yeah. This is another attack vector for the podcast. <laughs> that the AT&T you people want to listen to me rant AT&T about AT&T Digital Life. Like, don't install security <laughs> systems in people's homes and then hand them unsecured ZTE Android tablets that run, like, Android 2.0. Like, you can definitely me? just attack it and break Seriously? it and get into the house. I, don't they teach in the third grade exactly how to break into a ZTE Android At this point, it's, it's part of the 2. core 2. curriculum in, in every Montessori yeah. school. It's wow. just they leave the children alone with the ZTE and they come back when it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Okay. So, anyway, uh, Randall Stevenson said that when they bought DirecTV, he said this to Henry Blodgett, the head of Business Insider, at the Business Insider conference, I think called Ignition. I think that's Mm -hmm. the name of it. And I'm not trying to be smartass about it. I just want to make sure that I think that's the name of it. He, you know, Henry did a pretty decent interview. And and at one point, Randall Stevenson said, hey, we didn't buy DirecTV because we love satellite TV technology. We bought it because they had, now I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, we bought it because given that they were a big TV distributor and we weren't uh, at that time, they had a lot of uh, relationships and rights and uh, kind of, uh, you know, an in to get uh, even more rights for these TV shows. And that's why we bought it. It was a content play, and then he went on to give a t- little bit of a talk about how they're they're quote evangelical in their belief that people will want to watch long form video, which means TV shows, uh, standard you know what you think of as TV shows on mobile phones, and not just these little uh, short snackable videos that. Some people think are what people prefer to watch on their phones. So he's extremely, extremely interested in having a business which is all about content on mo- on mobile. Yeah, and 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 what, and what I said is, you know, he seems more excited about that at the moment than about running the network, right, which, or deploying five G or whatever. Things yeah, he talked a little bit about that uh, uh, at this particular video interview I'm talking about. He talked a little bit about that. So it, I think the, I think that the government ought to say to him, "You have to choose. You want to be a content. You know, it's it's a free country. If you want to make your company a content company, that's fine. Yeah, 
or you have to agree well, to the same stringent rules that we put right. Comcast under. What's different there, and this is the other reason that I think Comcast hasn't done, hasn't tried to break the rules aggressively, is Comcast isn't a mobile company, right? They they own the wires in the big, ground. That's a huge difference. That go to your house, and they they do have data caps, and Comcast data caps are legendarily controversial for a whole variety of reasons, but they're they're just enormous compared to the mobile data cap. Yeah. So Comcast, you know, they, they've they've poked around the edges of, of wireless a lot, but fundamentally what they provide to you is a cable that comes out of the ground and goes into your house uh, that delivers you TV and broadband internet. And they just don't have the, they don't have quite the same incentives to monkey around with how the internet works that a mobile carrier has. Because one, you can't leave Comcast anyway. Most people don't have a, a major choice of another high-end broadband provider, so you're stuck with them. So the, AT&T, you can quit AT&T and go get Verizon, and, and your phone might just work just as well. So there's a lot more incentive on the on the wireless side of the house to monkey with things. And I think that's just the way this deal goes down or doesn't go down or what the Trump administration puts around it in terms of restrictions the similarities on their face, the Comcast deal are there, but the actual differences and the actual impact on how we live and experience technology are just massively different and massively more dangerous, in my opinion. And dangerous is what I said it was, and I, I so clearly we agree. Yeah. This episode of Control-Alt-Delete is brought to you by Lenovo. Look, the cloud sounds magical, but it's just data stored on servers. It's estimated that the cloud holds four exabytes of data, equal to the storage capacity of six million average laptops. By 2020, experts expect the cloud to hold 40 zettabytes of data, or the storage equivalent of 80 billion average laptops. Most of that data is stored on nearly 5.5 million servers operated by just 16 companies. But the cloud isn't just a place to store stuff. In fact, business increasingly relies on the cloud for expandable computing power. Imagine if you only have house guests coming, but only one bedroom. What if you just order an extra bedroom for your guests that you could remove after they leave? That's the idea behind Lenovo's next-generation data centers built for cloud computing. You see, the cloud is all about giving your company the ability to expand and contract server capacity on-demand without actually adding more hardware. Lenovo understands that on-demand access can give your company a tremendous competitive advantage. Think about it. The faster you can scale up, the faster your development team can test new applications, and that means you can get new product features into market faster. But that kind of flexibility is worthless if your servers are down. Lenovo servers are number one in reliability and performance because you don't have time for downtime. So if you're feeling handcuffed by proprietary hardware-software relationships, Lenovo systems allow you to partner with leading software providers to ensure your cloud solution is best in class. Lenovo systems can even integrate with legacy software platforms to get your cloud solution up and running quickly. So just go and learn more about how Lenovo is transforming the data center at www.lenovo.com slash data center. So we now, should, speaking of Trump and technology. Speaking of Trump, yes, I was about to do the same segue. <laughs> yeah, we're it's great. So minds. today, as we're doing this podcast, maybe right now, even, I'm watching live updates on Recode <laughs> as we podcast. Trump has been holding these meetings with various groups and individuals. Kanye, for instance, um, <laughs> you know, whoever, whatever random person he wants to see. And today, he's in with. You know, Tim Cook and Larry Page. And I think you're, I saw a picture of Eric Schmidt there. I, I got the whole list here. So it's Larry Page, Elon Musk, Tim Cook, Sheryl Sandberg, Satya Nadella, Cisco CEO Chuck Robbins, IBM CEO Ginny Rometty, Intel CEO Brian Kazanick, uh, and Oracle CEO Safra Katz. Jeff Bezos 
uh, there's a picture of him walking into the building, so he's there as well. Uh, in Twitter, actually, Politico just reported that twi- the Twitter was not invited because Trump's campaign was mad uh, that one of their uh, proposed election emojis was rejected by Twitter. <laughs> so, what? Yes. What? This is that, this is, this an is emoji? Politico. They wanted to buy the hashtag Crooked Hillary and put an emoji next to it. So whenever you tweeted uh, Crooked Hillary, you got an automatic emoji insertion. The emoji was like, it. what, a little little cartoon so of this, Hillary this is the in first, jail? I, or? I, look, Politico's a, it's a good political source. You know, I'm going to read the line. You can believe what you will. Twitter was told it was, quote unquote, bounced from Wednesday's meeting between tech executives and President-elect Donald Trump in, rep, in retribution for refusing during the campaign to allow an emoji version of the hashtag Crooked Hillary. So anyway, but I'm he's just, meeting I'm with just, that huge list of people. Now I'm just visualizing that. Okay. <laughs> Okay, fine. It's chaos. Let's think about this meeting for a minute. We don't know. I mean, I, I know Rico's doing a live stream. I, I think BuzzFeed's doing a live stream. Are we doing? I don't think we're doing a live stream, right? Uh, no, we're, uh, we're sort uh, of covering. Uh, There's no stream, so people are just sort of covering it. Not a stream, but you know, yeah, Rico is live kind of, updating, and we're doing a wrap. The Verge right. is doing a wrap up post, yeah. and and that means so listeners understand not that that any we love Rico dearly. And they do a great job on exactly this kind of thing. But, um, and Kara wrote a terrific opinion piece about it the other day. But the point is, you can't get into the meeting, you can't even get near the meeting, but you can stand outside. You can stand in the lobby, lobby of Trump Tower, whatever, which is what and see who comes doing. and goes. I think, I think they have to let you stand in the lobby because it's a public yeah. space or something. So you can see who's coming and going. And there, there have been pictures posted of. Of, of these various people. But let's, so let's talk about this meeting for a minute. So this is an industry that overwhelmingly, with the exception uh, that we know of, because you don't know how everyone voted, of course, with the exception of uh, a, a venture capitalist called Peter Thiel, who was one of the founders of, I want to say, PayPal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Thiel at the meeting, would, by the way. Yeah. Hey, you know, I think he, uh, he helped organize it, if uh, if I remember correctly, what Rico had reported, and he, you know, he was the single big-time notable uh, Silicon Valley figure. He wasn't a guy running a company, but in Silicon Valley, VCs matter a lot too. Um, who was pro-Trump? Uh, everybody else was was anti-Trump or or avidly pro-Hillary or somewhere in between. Even Meg Whitman, who is a Proud Republican who ran for governor of California as a Republican uh, uh, came out against Trump very strongly during the campaign. So the tech industry leadership in Silicon Valley and elsewhere was, for the most part, a strong anti-Trump center and and a center of criticism. And a lot of his policies involving you know bring uh, making products in the united states and you know anti-immigrant policies they depend on a lot on these uh, h-1b visas for immigrants to work in their companies um, threatening you know high tariffs against china where all their stuff is made a lot of his policies really would be economically hugely detrimental in addition he specifically attacked and singled out and attacked several of the most important uh, tech companies, particularly Apple and Amazon, mm-hmm. for a variety of, of reasons. We talked about this when we had our- Did a whole show. All, yep. all Trump, all the time show uh, <laughs> the day after the election, which was our catharsis. Um, and 
<laughs> and so I wonder what this meeting could be like. I mean, you know, it is a little bit humiliating to be, you can't say no when the president-elect, it's pretty hard to say no when the president-elect asks you to come and meet with him. He's only asking you to meet with him, right? It's yeah. not asking, you know, it's a meeting. And you, if you're a patriotic American, you want to help the president-elect by tossing around ideas maybe or at least hearing what his ideas are. Uh, so you can't say no, but on the other hand, it's a little bit humiliating depending how he decides to tweet about it later or <laughs> well, possibly during the meeting. I don't know. Uh, well, there are some remarks out of this meeting that have already come out. So uh, it's, hard, it's hard to read Trump transcripts unless you can do the delivery, but I'll, I'm going to try. Trump says, I want to add that I'm here to help you folks do well. You're doing well right now. I'm very honored by the bounce. He means the bounce in the stock market. They're all talking about the bounce. So everybody, we're going to try to have that bounce continue. Perhaps even more importantly, we want you to keep going with incredible innovation. There's nobody like you in the world. Uh, anything you can do, anything we can do to help you, uh, call me, which is interesting, or call yeah. my people. It doesn't make any difference. We have no formal chain of command around here. So he's basically oh saying, gosh. Apple, if you want to repatriate that cash, Tim Cook, you know, call us. We'll figure it out. Uh, I, you know, I know that he wants these companies to build more products, in particularly in the United States. There is a bunch of you know, Apple has gone to Tim Cook and Lucas Silvestri, their CFO, have gone to hearing after hearing on Capitol Hill to talk about the enormous amount of cash they have offshore. They, and to advocate for changes in the tax to code. To advocate for changes in the tax easy, code. Yeah. There's obviously the encryption debate continues to rage to this day. There's right. a lot of reasons why all of these people need to go see Trump. But the, the pageantry of today is particularly interesting. Uh, Obama has certainly had these kinds of meetings before, right? Like there are pictures of Obama sitting oh, at yes. dinner with Tim Cook and Jack yes. and so and so. There's and absolutely nothing wrong with the concept of a meeting except that Trump has a history that Obama does not. Obama publicized it and I suppose you could say, well, that's to make him look forward thinking and, you know, meeting with the cutting edge of the economy and all that. That's great. But uh, and and I don't want to let him off the hook for that. Uh, if we're if we're criticizing politicians being politicians, but Trump takes it to another level. And I don't know. You were reading, I presume, a statement they put out about his what his remarks were. But you don't really that statement doesn't include what really went on during the meeting. What he really said to them, right? No, I think it's just sort of the end of the. I mean, he might have turned around and said. You bastards! I know you all oppose me, and I want you to. And you know, don't you're not gonna, you're not gonna get have an easy time. I don't think I'm not saying he did. Um, I want to be clear: this is not fake news. I'm just, you know, yeah, joking around have, here. Yeah, but you never, you know, you idea. don't know what he said. Uh, you have no. Maybe he encouraged Apple to start a competitor to Twitter because he's mad. You have no idea, but. The photographs of this meeting are... <laughs> that would fail. That would fail. <laughs> we brought oh back Ping God. for Trump. Can you imagine that? Yeah, Ping. <laughs> ping for oh Trump. Oh, my God. Uh, no, the, the photographs of this meeting are absolutely uh, wild. Like, these people are rarely, if ever, in a room together like this. Um, the 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 amount of money in that room, uh, they, they basically picked companies that are the biggest of the big to show up. And... It's just we've we've now you know we spent most of the show talking about AT and T Time Warner coming together. There are there are not a lot of regulations around these big tech companies. They're some of the most powerful, influential, richest companies in the world, and you have 
a president who's saying, anything I can do to help you, you call me, right? He's not in opposition to them. He's saying, we want you to get bigger. We want you to do better for America, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The relationship between the government that is supposed to regulate these companies and these companies themselves is about to change. And it's just the dynamics of how it change, of how it changes, what they ask for and what they give in return on totally uncharted territory, as far as I can tell. Well, and the other way around, the, the government may ask for things. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you believe what he said during the campaign, he's going to ask Amazon to pay more taxes. Yep. I don't know. I don't know exactly how and what he means, but he is. He's going to be, be somehow because Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. I don't know. And he thinks that that gets Amazon a tax break, which I'm pretty sure it doesn't. <laughs> but and if you believe what he said during the campaign, he's going to ask Apple to, you know, decrypt every iPhone the FBI wants. And by the way, make all the iPhones here. You know. That that's you. That's a fair interpretation of the some of the stuff he said during the campaign. I don't know if he's going to follow through with that stuff, and I don't know if it came up today. Yeah, it's actually somewhat worth revisiting. So I think it's a two-way communication. I mean, anything you need, call me or my people. It doesn't make a difference. We don't have a command structure, which is by by the way, that's another show. But um, <laughs> uh, but um, uh, that's great. You know, so if Tim Cook does call him or said today, hey, you know, I want to re patriate all this money give me a tax holiday where i only pay you know 11 percent on it instead of 30 whatever it is percent that they're supposed to pay um you know that could have happened and maybe trump will do that but that doesn't mean it's all one way trump could call him and say hey remember that all that money i let you brought bring back and pay almost no tax on yeah that was a great favor i did for you now i the the deal maker i want this I want you to decrypt all the iPhones. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, well, it's as I was saying, it's worth revisiting your conversation with Bezos at the Code Conference last May, right. uh, where he went after Trump full bore. He, he said, well, I yep. am opposed because people have to tell the truth. Um, and now he's sitting in a meeting with President elect Trump talking about Amazon, which is a thing that he has to protect. I mean, he's the CEO of Amazon, he has to protect it. But if the post, if Trump can find a way to thread the needle and use the post, to leverage Bezos into doing things with Amazon or the other way around, that is very interesting. Who knows how that would play out? Well, and I think, you know, the same thing. I mean, you, you will remember that Apple with, withdrew its traditional support. Uh, I guess maybe it used to, maybe it sends Macs for free to these conventions or whatever it does from the Republican convention this year, uh, which is something it, it usually does. Uh, because it didn't exactly say this, but the th but the, the thinking was because it disapproved of Trump. He thought he thought this particular Republican candidate had gone and done something over the line. Yeah, and 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 and, and Tim Cook then went and held a, a fundraiser for Paul Ryan, the the leader of the Republican Party until Trump won, um, and that was. That was sending a clear dis signal of disdain for Trump. But now... <laughs> now they're all in know. the room. They're all drinking uh, Trump-branded water, as far as I can tell, um, <laughs> yeah. from these photographs. Uh, you must eat a steak. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Trump if, steak. if you're listening to this, you know, if you're, whenever you get to where you're going, if you're traveling, or if you're just on a computer, go look at the photos. They are... The, there's a, the, the lead recode photo... The look of befuddlement on Larry Page's face is 
truly something else. Uh, I mean, it's just, well, I think we have to say something else also, yeah. which is um, a lot of these companies, and Larry Page is a good example of a guy who I who I think fits this. A lot of these companies really, really, really didn't want don't don't want anything to do with the government if they can help it. Yep. The tech industry for a long time wanted no nothing to do with the government. They didn't have big lobbying operations, any of that. I think the Microsoft antitrust trial uh, was a turning point in that. And then, but even then, while Microsoft beat it up its lobbying, um, many of these other guys did not. Until uh, and unless there was a specific set of issues they had they had to deal with, and now they all have lobbies. But I, you know, in a lot of cases, still not as big as the lobbies of the old traditional industries like the oil industries and and the you know uh, uh, right here near our our office in downtown D.C. where I work out of. Yes, people, I live in D.C. <laughs> is uh, the National Association of Broadcasters, for instance. And that They have their own building. Uh, they've been here as long as I can remember, uh, and I'm a long-time resident here. And, um, and the tech companies just aren't quite at the level of some of the old industries. That's true. It's, I mean, it's, you're right that the, there's like a you – know, the oil and gas lobby is a thing, right? Like the, the military-industrial lobby is a thing, and they operate openly. Well, the in that tech way. lobby is a thing. The too, tech lobby is a thing. Like Google spends a lot of money lobbying. Microsoft and AT and T historically aligned lobby together against Google. Uh, it's there's there's a lot of it that goes. On. Facebook has a huge lobbying shop as well. There's there's a lot of it that goes on. But yeah, you say huge, but I'm not sure it's huge compared to these old line guys. That's all I'm saying to you. Right. I'm getting back to your point, which is they kind of want nothing to do with the government. The, right. The traditional industries that you think of as, as lobbying, they require government approval for their work. They have to drill in the ground or they have to lay That's pipelines right. across North Dakota. You know, they've got to do all or this Or the stuff. NAB. I mean, you know, if you're a broadcast network, the FCC, you know, you really need to... Oh, we can tie you know, this all back together. Right. If you're a broadcast network, you need to lobby because you got to get permission to use the airwaves in the way that you want. If you're an oil company, you got to get permission to go drill or frack or whatever you're going to do. These companies are built, fundamentally built on the philosophy of Silicon Valley, which is permissionless innovation. So they go and lobby. They do spend a lot of money on it, but they don't think of that permission as actually being required. It's a thing they do begrudgingly because they have to, not because it's well, and they're rich, the and they have tax issues, yeah. and they, they 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 would like a different tax structure, like a lot of big companies, things like that. But you're right; they they could, for the most part, you know, unless it's driverless cars or some particular thing where there is a clear uh, need for federal and not to mention state regulatory uh, 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 approval. Right, but here's the story today. So, if, uh, if you if you're making iPhones, all you have to do is make sure the FCC clears it as not giving off too much uh, uh, radiation that will disturb other products or whatever right. that. And it's a really old law. And when Mark Zuckerberg it. coded the first version of the Facebook, he didn't need to ask the government for permission, right? Correct. Um, 
he, by, by the way, uh, Travis Kalanick not in the room. He couldn't. He apparently could not make it. No, I'm just looking at Tim Cook's Did, completely befuddled it, face. But Elon Musk is sitting in the corner. But uh, and, I see and him, Musk yeah. and, and Kalanick and Sacha. Nadella, it was announced that Elon Musk and, and Kalanick will become advisors to Trump in some way, which is interesting. Um, yeah. But Uber, Travis Kalanick runs Uber, just started running self-driving cars in San Francisco without yeah. any permission today. And the you know the whole piece of news there is he not didn't even that get the state it. of California license I think they, and they just started doing it and they're like our yeah. car actually isn't meet the definition of what we need for for permission we're just doing it and that is if I can bring this all the way back to net neutrality that's the thing right it's you don't need permission you don't need someone's blessing you don't need to pay someone uh, to to do a lot of things in the tech industry it's not organized that way if you end up having to pay AT&T to get your business to competitive footing, that really changes the dynamic. That's why net neutrality, that's why I am always pounding the table with net neutrality, because it's it's the thing that makes the internet uh, able to able to contain and you're, allow you're, you're absolutely and accelerate right. it's all not, this innovation. You're not, it's not about open and close, which are words I don't like, and I think you like them a little more than I do, but and Dieter Bone likes them a lot. Yep. Uh, but um, you know, it's it, to me the internet could be a website, it could be an app, it could be Facebook. It's all part of the internet. But the thing is, it's all nothing unless there's some you know regulation and some boundaries around the people that distribute it to you and some competition hopefully, around the people that distribute it to you. And so when a company that distributes it to over 100 million people suddenly decides to concentrate its power by owning the content that it's distributing, that is exactly, to me, the textbook case of something uh, uh, that the government ought ought to care about. And I say that not as a lawyer, but just as a citizen. And I think that matters. Well, I think we did a good job of tying it all together at the end. Very good. Well done. <laughs> We've done well here. Well done. Uh, we brought it all together, and we plugged Recode and Dieter and Stephen Sanofsky and <laughs> Julius Janikowski. Oh, yeah. So. Action Pack show today on Control of Delete. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, we, we are sadly out of time this week. Uh, there is much more to listen to. Uh, speaking of Recode, there's a bunch of podcasts you can listen to from that side of the house. Kara Schuscher has Recode Decode. I am just 100% sure that Kara is going to be all over the Trump and tech story. Uh, in the future, so listen to that. Read. Uh, she actually oh, started I'm a column. Sure of that too. Taking yeah. a page from the Walt Mossberg playbook, she started a weekly column. So That's check right. that out. Peter Kafka runs Recode Media. It's a great podcast. One of my favorites. Lauren Good uh, on the Verge team runs uh, Too Embarrassed to Ask. Another great podcast on the Recode side. And I host the Verge Cast with one Mr. Dieter Bone every week, and we're we're taping one tomorrow. So all that stuff's on iTunes. Go find it, rate it, give us five stars, tell us. What's and good. can I just say something? Yeah. I think there's a surprise announcement coming from you tomorrow. There is, is a right? little bit of a surprise announcement. I just thought we'd tease it. We Why could not? tease it. Well, well, today. I should say today because this is running. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exciting things happening with the Vergecast. If you didn't already hear about it, go look around and you'll find yeah. it everywhere. Super exciting things happening with the Vergecast at CES. We're very into it. Uh, that'll be fun. Uh, Walt's not going to CES, so I had to do something fancy to make him jealous. <laughs> um <laughs> It didn't work. It's, I mean, I'm so work. happy for you, and I'll and I'll be I'll be a I'll be a loyal consumer of 
what you're about to announce, but I'm so happy not to go. <laughs> so happy. Not Very to go. true. Anyway, you can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless on Twitter. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. Hopefully, you know, you can use Twitter, talk to us, send us intros. It'll make Jack Dorsey feel a little bit better about not being invited to this meeting. Oh, my. Poor Jack. <laughs> Poor Jack. And we'll be back next week. We will. Thanks, Walt. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil.